I told you about this, remember? The five, six, one features of the senses. The five senses can only take present objects. The mind can take objects of the past, present, future, and so forth. But however, the mind can only take one object at a time. Then, is how to compose the mind using this other anchor principle. You accept the fact that whatever happens is the product of causes and conditions, even though you don't see them yet. You accept out of faith. Don't reject or follow it. And you abandon it. This is for focused awareness. And you do anapana of... For focused awareness, you, that's all you do. But when you do open awareness, then it's a bit different. We get dynamic serenity, and we don't reject, follow, or ignore. We add one extra element. You don't ignore. In Samatha, focus awareness, you ignore. And instead of abandon, we acknowledge and let it go by anchoring the mind to the five senses. So when you're at the five senses, you're free and easy, touch and go. But when you're sleepy, you point and shoot, pin and run. In short, the size other anchor. If you're able to follow other anchor and remind yourself constantly, then you'll get peace and serenity. I think I better stop here for a while. The other day I talked about mindfulness, the four hours of mindfulness. I did not categorize it into right mindfulness, wrong mindfulness, and ordinary mindfulness. If you look at the four hours of mindfulness, remember, recollect, remind, and retrospect. There's nothing spiritual about them. Correct? It can be used in any circumstances in the world. In worldly situations, if you want to be successful in life, you need to have these four. You have to remember instructions, you've got to recollect them, you have to remind yourself to finish your tasks, and you have to retrospect to look back at what's going on in your mind so that you can control your emotions. That is worldly mindfulness, or normal mindfulness. That is something very universal, and it's not necessarily connected with anything spiritual. Then, what is right mindfulness? Right mindfulness is defined in the suttas in two ways. One is defined as the four establishments of mindfulness. That is right mindfulness. Another one is found in the Mahachattari Sikha Sutta, Amen 114, where it says that right mindfulness is remembering right view. You have listened to what right view is, you have read about right view, but if you don't remember it, how are you going to practice right view? For example, I tell you, when you can see constant condition, but can you see not-self? You cannot, because you don't have the right view. <laughs> you still think it's mine, it's me, myself, my memory, my response. But it's not, it's all due to constant conditioning. Right mindfulness is connected with the spiritual path. Wrong mindfulness is when you are on a spiritual path that does not need to Nibbana. You can practice, for example, you practice Samatha meditation, and you just focus on your breath. But you don't have right view. You don't have any of the noble eightfold path. You just practice and you get focused and you get into deep states of concentration where all your senses are cut off and you're just aware of that object. But that's not right concentration. And that mindfulness that you use to get there is also not right mindfulness. The right mindfulness must be remembering right view or must be practicing the four Siddhipatthanas.
in Buddhist spiritual practice, the scope of mindfulness is to actually see things arise due to causes and conditions, persist and change, and then they vanish. You can't see the causes and conditions of the objects. You can see only the subject. That's why you try to look at the subject more than the objects. What's the reason why you do this? Because you can understand your thoughts and emotions more. And because you can understand your thoughts and emotions more, then you can reprogram your mindset through personal direct experience. You become more accepting and forgiving of others than yourself and easier to let go. I mean, this is the worldly benefits of practicing mindfulness. In order to get there, you have to practice mindfulness, samadhi, and sabatanya. Sabatanya can come only when you have enough composure. I've already told you that mindfulness, uh, the four hours, remember, recollect, remind, and retrospect. Composure is samadhi, and samadhi, as I said the other day, is made up of uh, three terms, sam, a, and d. And is properly bring and place the mind wherever you want to, without being distracted by thoughts, feelings, and perceptions. There might be thoughts, feelings, and perceptions going on, but they don't distract you. They just you know that they come and go. And what is clear awareness? Clear awareness is properly knowing something in various ways. So here you have intelligent consideration, worldly wisdom, living to insight. When you talk about being clearly aware, this is talking about when to be clearly aware, when you are executing all these physical activities. This tells you when to be aware, and the Sutta, in the Sati Sutta, talks about what to be clearly aware of. Then you're supposed to be clearly aware of your feelings, thoughts, and perceptions as they arise, persist, and go away. So this one is... When you look at the subject, all these things are happening. Yeah, when you look at the subject, you can see the, the feelings, your perceptions, and your thoughts. But how to be clearly aware? That was the when and the what, and now this is the how. You're aware of it in terms of the BAR. You put it to the bar test. This is for the retreat situation. When you talk about realistic, it means it's according to anicca, dukkha, anatta, and dependent arising. How do you see that? That's why this is to a personal experience. It means that you look back at what had just happened due to causes and conditions. And this retrospecting could also be immediate past or a distant past. Like if you have some problems that are associated with some childhood traumas or childhood conditioning, you can see that also. Here you see I'm talking about cause, condition, and result. And there are two types of result. One is a passive or non-karmic result, and the other one is an active or karmic result. What does that mean? I'll give you an example of an, a passive one. For example, for Tony, he was talking about he went there to the river and the river was all swollen and it was very wild at that time, very powerful. And that was a cause. And then his past experience was the conditioning and it gave rise to some feelings. That is non-comic. 
that is a memory, that is a sanya. But then, if you dwell on it, that's sankara. Initially, it was just sanya. And then you dwell on it, oh, there was a nice time. And then you start to think about it and relive this experience and want it to last longer, that is already active. So this result becomes now the cause or the condition for the future. It can become the cause for the next thought. The first one was the passive, there's just a memory. And then after that, it became the cause for your ruminating about what your past experience and enjoying the pleasant thing. So that will become the condition in the future. When you eat, if you eat unmindfully and you enjoy the food unmindfully, next time, that will be the conditioning for you to like something. But when you eat mindfully, there's no like, no dislike. There's just taste. How can there be conditioning for you to crave for the something which has no taste? <sighs> As I said, sati brings a past object to the mind's attention. That is all. And the sampajanya that makes use of the information and instructions from sati to evaluate and understand the object. We also talked about serenity and insight. This is about stilling the mind, samatha. The practice for insight is about developing wisdom. They are actually quite two different things. However, there can be serenity without insight and vice versa. We talked about it the other day. And this came from the sutta, where we talk about the four types of individual. The first one is with serenity but without insight. You should learn from one with insight. The second one is with insight and without serenity. You should learn from one with serenity. And the third one doesn't have either. You should learn from one with both. And the last one should not, since he has both, he should not be complacent, but strive on for higher attainments. So we went through this, how to make the mind stand properly, how to make the mind sit properly, how to unify the mind, how to compose the mind. And there are two types of serenity. There's dynamic serenity and there's static serenity. I say it's dynamic serenity because you are aware of many objects coming and going. You have composure even though there are many objects coming and going. But for focus awareness, it's called static serenity because your serenity is dependent on a single object. And you get very easily irritated and distracted by things that upset your focus. This is sturdy and resilient. And this is fragile and brittle. But this is not so powerful. And this is more powerful. I often compare this with different magnifying devices. Like uh, open awareness, you can compare it to just a magnifying glass. And for focused awareness, you can compare it to a microscope. And at very, very deep levels, you can compare it to electron microscope. So you see more clearly in more detail with more composure. So you might wonder, then, should we develop the first one to see more clearly? Or the second one to see more clearly? That really depends on the individual. Different people require different levels of samadhi in order to penetrate the truth. During the Buddha's time, all the lay people, all the non-monks, attained various stages of enlightenment by listening to Dhamma talk. Their composure was very minimal. Now those who cannot 
become enlightened by listening to Dharma talk, then they say, oh, it's difficult to practice the Dharma in its entirety by living a lay life. What if I were to shave my head and my beard and then go forth from the home life to homelessness? So they become monks and nuns. When they become monks and nuns, then the Buddha will teach them all these very deep states of samadhi. So it seems that these people, they could not get enlightened because they didn't have enough composure. So they had to develop deep states of composure in order to be able to penetrate the truth. So this depends on the individual, and it depends also on circumstances, whether you can afford the time, and whether you have uh, obligations to fulfill or not. Yes? Uh, why focus awareness is fragile? Oh, <laughs> it's fragile. Because, let's say you are focusing on your breath, and uh, that's when your daughter, are you a mother? No, okay. <laughs> yeah, no matter. Okay, maybe. So maybe your niece, maybe you are sitting there quietly watching your breath in your room, and suddenly your niece comes home and then bangs the door, and you get upset, won't you? <laughs> if you think focus on awareness, you will. You will get upset because you, you spend so long trying to get yourself focused and concentrated, and suddenly somebody comes to distract your attention, you will blow up. That's why it's fragile. It can be very easily distracted. Whereas in open awareness, because you are seeing things coming and going all the time, and you're getting used to it, it doesn't matter. Whatever happens is okay. For people who really practice open awareness, there are no distractions. If you think that there's a distraction, that means you're attached to your peace and calmness. I have a question as well. Bonte, you just, you just mentioned that when I was at the river, I start, when i having pleasure, Seeing that it's all right, but when I start making a story about it, or when I start following this, then it's sankara, so right. it's craving right. basically. So it's the same as when we are meditating. Mm. Is is Goenkaji says when you're having very pleasant sensations, it's big danger because you can roll in it and like being uh, very enjoying yourself, yeah, and prolonging. It. Wanting to prolong it, yeah, yeah. and then when you go outside, then you crave for it, and you're not having a good time anymore. So you, you confirm this uh, kind of... Uh, right. It's not wholesome craving. Craving for meditation is not wholesome craving, right? That uh, craving for meditation, you could say it's wholesome craving, but that also leads to suffering. Yes. <laughs> I heard a story about uh, someone meditating and being in a very deep state of samadhi in a jhana, and then... He ended the meditation and he noticed that the house was burned around him. There was a fire and he didn't notice because he was in the samadhi. That state doesn't seem very brittle. Yeah, that one is a very advanced state of meditation. Yeah, it also includes the uh, static serenity. Yeah, 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 yes, it does. But I'm talking here about more low-level Low uh, end, low end static serenity, uh, uh, okay. not uh, the high end. Okay. The high end, there were two, two stories. One was uh, the Bodhisattva's teacher, Alara Kalama. He was teaching the formless attainments. And you will see, it seems that one day he was sitting by the roadside and there were hundred carts passed by. He was meditating there and someone later came to tell him that there were actually hundred carts that passed by. Did you notice? Did you hear them? He says, no. I didn't hear anything. 
said, but were you percipient? Were you still conscious? He said, yeah, I was conscious. He was conscious with his arupa, with his formless meditation. This person came to tell the Buddha, and he was marveling at his attainment. And then the Buddha says, well, one day I was sitting in a barn. <laughs> I was sitting in a barn, and then there was a heavy thunderstorm, and then the lightning struck and uh, killed a cow nearby, and there was a lot of commotion outside. Somebody told me about this when I got up for my meditation, but I was not aware at all. I was still percipient, I was still conscious. <laughs> so that's a very deep state of samadhi. Can this focus awareness, focus awareness. awareness and uh, open, open awareness, awareness can mix or not? Well, you can mix in the sense that if the, the senses, there are not too many stimuli in the senses. But here in SBS, it's very nice. You can get a lot of sounds and things moving. Yeah. But if you sit in your room, yeah. Yeah, nothing, yeah. aircon room, and just hear the dull sound of the aircon and the blank wall in yeah. front of you, yeah. you fall asleep very yeah. soon. <laughs> so in such a case, you can actually watch your breath or watch your rising and falling, but then don't cut off. Don't shut out other objects. Keep on asking your mind, what else can the mind be aware of? And then, don't just stick to the object. Look at the subject. How is the mind responding or reacting to what's happening? Look at how the mind behaves. And i got another question. This is, I heard from people say, from the focus awareness, when they achieve higher level, they say the insight will come automatically. Is that true? Not really true. It depends. As I said, if you have very strong concentration but no right view, you cannot get any insight. For vipassana, it doesn't come automatically. Like what are you doing now? I say you ask the question, and then you come back, and then the answer will arise. Right? It will arise automatically. Correct. But then you already have the background on what is cause and condition. You know what is right view. For most people, somebody who wants to, they need to have this information, the right information first, the right view first, and then they practice, then the insight will arise by itself. When you talk about right view, is it understanding of Four Noble Truths and the cause and condition? Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah. That's why I say information is very important. You must know what and how to view. And then the next thing is how to investigate. And then this knowing, seeing, or realizing will arise by itself, not through intellectual understanding. These two are the causes. And this one here is the effect. You have to do these two, and this will arise by itself. That's why you say it arises by itself, but you need to have these two causes. So what do we view? So we are supposed to view Sankaras. Anything constructed by causes and conditions. And you have to view them as impermanent, unsatisfactory and not self. You use intelligence to investigate. How do you investigate? By reflection on constructions. Anything constructed by causes and conditions. This is a low-level sort of reflection. For example, when you purposely look back at your thought and you try to trace back, well, how did this thought arise? Oh, because of this thought, because of this thought, because of this thought, this one. Another even grosser way is by seeing, you know, trees 
leaves dropping and it's oh this is impermanent no it was green now it's brown and it's, it's dropping or you see here people getting cancer dying at a young age oh you see you see it's impermanent and so forth these are also valid these are so important because these are the worldly very obvious conventional sort of impermanence it's also important for you to contemplate on them but this is more important by retrospecting by looking back at what had just happened in the six senses, especially in the mind, not so much in the objects. You can't see causes and conditions in the objects. You can see them arising and passing away, but you may not see the causes and conditions. You can see the causes and conditions very clearly in the subject itself. Having said that, there are also instances during the Buddha's time where people get enlightened by watching the objects rather than the subject. So that's also very subjective. It depends on individual. How do you know, see, real, realize? How do you realize? You know, no see is in a sense that it's as though you're seeing with your eyes and you understand, but not necessarily in a verbal way, not necessarily in a rational way. It just, the insight just arises and you realize it. Oh, that's the way it is. And you understand without deliberate rational thinking. This Sabajanya will include all these things, from information to intelligence to insight. It has a big, this is a large span. This is what most of our retreats are. They are based on the principles of the no way path. They are oriented to daily life practice. That's why here I don't require to move around very slowly. And it's based on the principles of the no way path, which includes loving kindness and mindful awareness. I use the word mindful awareness to refer to sati sabajanya. Mindful means sati and awareness is clear awareness, that's sabajanya. I purposely chose the word awareness instead of comprehension because I want to distinguish between mindfulness and awareness. Because nowadays a lot of people, some teachers anyway, equate mindfulness with awareness. Just be aware, be aware. But mindfulness no doubt, is a type of awareness, but it is a special type of awareness. It is awareness of a past object. All the other five senses are also aware. Right not? The eyes are aware of seeing visual objects, the ears are aware of sounds and so forth. But the word awareness is not used as a technical term in our Buddhist doctrine. In Buddhism, we only have consciousness. Consciousness refers to Vijnana, and then mind refers to citta, and mind also refers to mano. That's why it's a bit complicated, <laughs> because mano is, from the point of view of the six senses, it is a sense object. That's the end of the slideshow. I'm not going to see you anymore. This is just a review of what we have done.